I've been here a lot for work. Last month, Washington Post reporter Caroline Kitchener spent a week in Corpus Christi, Texas. She was with a pair of new parents, Brooke Alexander and Billy High. Brooke is 18 years old. She's got blonde hair that's like really tight ringlets, and she often pulls it together with a ribbon. They look so cool when they're in the same outfit. Brooke had recently given birth to twin girls, Kendall and Olivia. So I was in the bedroom with Brooke, and it was about 10.30 at night. Billy works every day from 5 to 11, and so we were waiting for him to get home in his bedroom. And their baby, Kendall, she had been on her back, and then Brooke looks over, and all of a sudden, she's on her stomach. Damn, that was really cool. That was really exciting! (laughs) And Brooke just... Gasped. She kept looking like she was going to roll over today, and I can't believe she did it. Amazing. I wish Billy got to see it. You know, Brooke told me the hardest hours for her were the ones where she was alone, you know, waiting for Billy to get home because she doesn't really see any other people. I mean, they live with Billy's dad and Billy's stepmom, but Brooke doesn't want to get in their way. They've taken them in, and so she mostly just stays in this room. And when Billy's not there, she's just by herself with these two baby girls. Are you going to tell Billy or are you going to wait until he comes home to tell him? Well, he should be here pretty soon. Brooke has these two babies now, but... You know, 10 months ago, when she found out she was pregnant, this is not what she imagined for her life at all. She ran into the Texas abortion ban. Last September, the most restrictive abortion ban in the country went into effect in Texas. And Brooke was too far along in her unplanned pregnancy to get an abortion in the state. It was, you know, at least a part of why she decided to continue her pregnancy. On Friday, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, ending the constitutional right to an abortion. That set off a cascade of anti-abortion laws in other states that will affect roughly half the country. So now, more Americans are facing the same conundrum as Brooke and Billy. There are going to be vast, vast abortion deserts that people will have to travel through in order to access the procedure legally. And so there are going to be a lot more people like Brooke pushed into parenthood. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, June 27th. Today, we have the story of Brooke and Billy. In a lot of ways, their story doesn't capture the worst-case scenario for people facing an unplanned pregnancy in the wake of the Supreme Court decision. Their pregnancy was the result of a loving relationship. They had a healthy pregnancy, and they're still trying to build a life together. But for everything they have, they've given up a lot. And in this moment, as we face a post-Row world, Brooke, Billy, and their family give us a picture of what could be in store for other people. 
what it's like to end up a parent before you were planning on it, and to know that there was another path that you didn't have the option to choose. Okay, Caroline is going to take it from here. The first day in Corpus, I walk into Billy's bedroom and he's there, you know, listening to music, looking at skateboarding videos, and I just kind of sit on the bed and start talking to him. Uh, I think it was, it was like, like at night and I was like skating at the park, just like by myself, and then Brooke and her friend and then one of our friends like, pulled up and they just like sat down and kind of watched me skate a little bit. He had a beanie on, you look kind of young, I remember. I was like, who's that guy over there? And you said to your friend? Yeah. And he was like, oh, it's Billy. He was 17 at the time and she was 18. And they just, they just thought each other were cute, man. We kissed last week our girlfriend, she said yes. They just had this magical summer together. They were going to the beach. They were watching the sunset on the pier. She'd never had a boyfriend before. And here was this guy who was totally into her and she was totally into him. And he made her feel really special. She was telling me about how in the first few weeks of dating, she took Billy to the mall and they went into Aeropostale and she parked him outside the dressing room. And she tried on, you know, crop top after crop top. And every time that she came out, he just said how cute she looked and, you know, how how pretty she was. And she said to me, you know, no one had ever made me feel that way before. Nobody had ever said that I was pretty before. Brooke didn't have the easiest time growing up. She really bounced back and forth between her mom's house and her dad's, kind of depending on who was the more stable parent at the time. They both, you know, had their various issues at different moments in her life. Her dad suffered from drug addiction. He uh, was hooked on cocaine for quite a few years, has since recovered. Her mom is prone to getting very upset. She has a really bad temper and it's hard to be around her. So, like, the laundry I feel like we fight about, she doesn't like when I touch her laundry. She gets, like, really upset. And so when she met Billy, I mean, here's this guy who wants to be a real presence in her life. And she was really eager for that. Somebody that she could love and rely on. In August, earlier in August, Brooke kind of, sort of noticed a few things. She had missed two periods, but that didn't raise immediate alarm because in June, she had gone on birth control and she just sort of assumed that that was a side effect of the birth control. But then about mid-August, she starts getting nauseous. She starts feeling sick to her stomach and... Yeah. And then 
you know, by the end of the month, she thinks, I better go take a pregnancy test. And she drives to Walgreens and picks up a test and goes back to her house. She takes the first test with Billy in the bathroom. He's standing above her and they both see on the pregnancy test the two pink lines. And she just falls on the floor. That's how she described it. She just slid onto the bathroom floor, crying, totally panicked. And she just thinks to herself, I just kept thinking, like, my life is over. My life is over. My life is over. You know, tears came out. Um, Were you crying too? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure I was because you can't really do anything else besides, like, panic. Because you don't know what you're going to do. Your whole life is, like, changed from that point. I mean, they were both just totally freaking out. This was not expected at all. I don't really know what to do. My girlfriend is pregnant. Um, what am I going to do? I'm about to tell my parents. My dad has always told me not to get pregnant. Billy was really nervous about how his dad was going to react, what his dad was going to say. And Brooke, she was worried about her mom. As soon as I walk out of the bathroom, she's like, what did the test say? Oh, my God. And I'm like, it was positive. She's like, oh, my God, you ruined your life. That's what she said? Yeah, first response. Immediately, Brooke's mom said, you need to get an abortion. You're going to ruin your life if you don't. Yeah, I just told her, no, no. I had a chance to talk to Brooke's mom about that later. Because you can't, A, we can't afford it. And B, is not the time. And, and C, they didn't even know that each other that long. And Billy was 17, still in high school. What did you want to do? Uh, an abortion. Yeah, I wanted to do an abortion because... You know, Billy really thought that abortion was the way to go. Yeah, I still wanted the freedom of, like, being a kid and being a teenager. So I was definitely on board getting the abortion. I think it takes her a while to sort of get a level head and think about options in a serious way. Like, she immediately knows she wants to go over to her best friend's house because she just wants to talk and cry. And so she goes over there, and that's where they start eventually talking through options. And, you know, at some point she says, you know, I could always get an abortion. She starts thinking more and more, you know, about all the things that she would lose if she had these babies. She said she immediately thought a lot about real estate school because she had just enrolled. And, you know, she dropped out of high school at 15. So going back to school, she really felt like she was turning a corner in her life and she was getting it back together. And she was so excited to be back in school and start on this trajectory that she had plotted for herself. And then her best friend, Alex, reminds her of something she had seen. Our creator endowed us with the right to life. But kind of only vaguely remembered. And that's exactly what the Texas legislature did this session. That there was this new law. Now we're about to make it law. That was going to take effect. (laughs) And she was sitting there in Alex's bedroom the early, early hours of August 30th, and the law took effect September 1st. It was the next day that she called 
what she thinks is the nearest abortion clinic. There are a couple that are between two hours and two and a half hours from where she lives in Corpus. There's no there's no actual abortion clinic in Corpus. And they tell her, you know, I'm really sorry, but we don't have any more appointments before the law takes effect. So, you know, they suggest that she goes to get an ultrasound somewhere nearby, find out, is she under six weeks? Because if she is, then they can still see her. But if she's not, then she's going to have to go to New Mexico. And she called them from the car and and she described having to kind of pull over on the side of the road to take down the names and the addresses of the clinics in New Mexico. So, Burke needs to get an ultrasound, right? Because she needs to figure out, am I under six weeks? And I think it's her mom's friend who says, you know, there's this pregnancy center. They do ultrasounds for free. You can go, you know, it's just down the street. And so Brooke makes an appointment there for nine o'clock on September 1st, which is the day that the Texas abortion ban takes effect. I mean, what I remember from that day was uh, I kind of came in. I remember thinking, like, this is a real, like, nice little building. The pregnancy center of the Coastal Bend is a crisis pregnancy center. These are anti-abortion organizations that are often religiously affiliated. And many of them offer free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds to anybody who's pregnant. Um, So if you just search abortion, let's say abortion Corpus Christi. This is the first thing that comes up on Google. If you are in Corpus Christi and you Google abortion or abortion cost or, you know, ultrasound, this is going to be like number one or number two on Google. And that's intentional because they're trying to get, um, they call them abortion-minded women, women who want to get abortions to come in there so that they can talk to them and convince them that that's not what they should do. So Brooke, when she walked in that day, she had no idea that this was a anti-abortion organization. It was actually interesting when I was talking to her, I kind of inadvertently told her this. So do they have information that would kind of help you get an abortion on there? About how, what kind of what? She was like, really? Th- th- those people are, you know, opposed to abortion? She had no idea. And, uh, Did you have to fill out a form? Yeah, I had to fill out some kind of form. Yeah. Um. Anytime a new patient walks into the pregnancy center of the Coastal Bend, they fill out a form. That form has a lot of kind of standard information, name, date of birth, that kind of thing. But then there's this one question that says, um, if you are pregnant, what are your intentions? And the options are abortion, adoption, parent or undecided. So, yeah, that's what I was going to say. They asked, like, what you want to do. Yeah. Um, and I, I put abortion on there and we were writing that. Using the answer to that particular question, the staff at the pregnancy center sorts each client into one of three categories. Abortion-minded, that means that somebody has decided that they want to get an abortion. Abortion-vulnerable, that means somebody's on the fence. Or likely to carry, that means that, you know, they want a parent. So when she was talking about abortion, her name is Angie, um, she was saying how they use, like, a vacuum kind of thing. Just kind of making it, just telling it like it is, you know, because it is pretty scary. 
Brooke told me about her counseling session with a advocate named Angie. Angie took her back into a counseling room. And one of the first things that they did was go through, you know, what Angie said were the risks of abortion. And Angie uses this booklet that is published by the state of Texas called A Woman's Right to Know and goes through these various risks. And she was saying that you could die, it could affect your infertility, you know, all kinds of stuff about abortion. Now, I think it's important to say that serious complications from abortion are rare and that there is no, you know, documented link between abortion and mental illness, abortion and infertility or death, according to leading medical associations. Wow. How did you feel hearing that? I felt ugly. Yeah. Yeah, like really ugly. Yeah. Brooke goes into the ultrasound room and she lies back on this bed. And the way that they set it up, they've got this big flat screen TV that's hooked into the ultrasound. So you lie down on this bed and you look up at this giant screen so that that picture is really big. And they turn off all the lights. She sees the ultrasound come up on the screen and then the ultrasound technician kind of goes. She was like, hold on a second. And then she looked and she was like, doesn't that look like there's two? Wow. Yeah, right? And I was like, what? I was like, are you sure? Like, I couldn't believe it, you know? At that point, three ladies from the Crisis Pregnancy Center and her mom all in the room and everyone else except Brooke is like celebrating. You know, everybody is just what? It's twins. Yay. You know, jumping up and down and just like so excited that there are two babies on that screen. And her mom is like, we're keeping them. I said, oh my God. I just knew right there. I said, oh no. I looked at Brooke and I said, you idiot. This is a miracle from the board. Like, there's no way. I said, you're you're stuck now. We're having these babies, you know? And I was so happy. Like, Did you feel that kind of, like, excitement, or was it, like... No, I was so scared. I was just like, what do you mean it's twins? You know, and, like, in my head, I'm like, how the f*** am I going to do this? Gosh, this, I think, of all the many hours that I spent talking to Brooke, this might be the moment that stands out most in my brain. I felt like I was watching myself outside of my body. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then eventually, she said, Angie, the advocate, leans over to her and asks, so will you be keeping them? And she kind of heard herself saying yes. Brooke says that she felt immense pressure in that moment to keep the babies. And that is a critique that you will hear about crisis pregnancy centers, is that they are putting immense pressure on women to keep babies that they're really pressuring them into a decision they're really unsure about. It was a combination of that reaction and the fact that the law was in effect that led her to make her decision. Because... 
you know, if, if abortion had been readily available, if she had been able to drive to that clinic, you know, two hours away that she called and gotten an abortion at 12 weeks pregnant, she might have made a really different decision. Coming up after the break, what happens after Brooke and Billy decide to keep the babies and how it changes both their lives? We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Brooke enrolled in real estate school in August, right before she found out that she was pregnant. And this was part of her, part of her life plan, you know? She she was going to get stuff back on track and she was going to go to real estate school. And she started classes in early November and she just loved it. What, tell me like about sort of the possibilities that you imagined, like when you, like on your first day or like, but you know, when you were. I, I, mean, I had a, like a big idea, like maybe I was going to move to a or Austin kind of uh, live up there and just be out of here, you know? Yeah. But seven months into her pregnancy, December, end of December rolls around, and she's just... But I ended up being really tired. Like, when I was pregnant, mm-hmm. I was so tired. Mm-hmm. And she misses a class, and then she misses another class, and she doesn't ever tell her teacher that she's leaving, but she just stops going to school. At the end of February, the hospital makes an appointment for Brooke's C-section. Her and Billy arrive to the hospital in the morning. How did you feel when you heard them, like, cry and saw them for the first time? I was scared. I was happy to see them, but when they first came out, it wasn't like an instant connection, you know? It kind of just built up over time. And they immediately go to Brooke's mom's house and start being parents. And holy crap, it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And that becomes clear right away. Um, so usually, if they're real fussy, when that was happening, she had already been changed. She had already fed. And she was real fussy still, you know. So I knew that was none of that stuff. But usually that's why they cry. They have two babies that cry through the night and need constant attention, right? And there are two of them. I mean, at any given moment, one of them needs to be changed or fed or needs to sleep or needs to be held or needs to be soothed or needs to be burped. I usually go like this. It's too harsh. And it's overwhelming. Billy does help a lot, but Billy works for a lot of the day, and so Brooke is alone with them for a lot of the time as well. 
Brooke is a really good mom. She just has a natural instinct for it somehow. She always knew, you know, if, if the baby was crying, she talked about how she would just kind of go through a mental checklist in her head. Like, did the baby need to sleep? Did the baby need to eat? Did the baby need to be held? But even though she's a really good mom, being a mom is really hard. Right before I got there, I was at the airport and I got a text from Brooke saying, you know, just so you know, you're not going to go to my mom's house. You're going to go to Billy's dad's house and here's the address. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, why? And, you know, then I've learned that her mom told them that they had to leave because they got in an argument. Brooke had left dirty dishes in the sink at night. And then she woke up the next morning to her mom yelling at her and the argument devolved and devolved. And it ended up with Brooke packing up a few of her things and heading over to Billy's dad's house. And that's, you know, still where they are living. Okay. But one of the most astounding things of this whole situation to me is that you are right now single-handedly providing for this family. It it just totally boggled my mind that Billy was providing for this family of four on $9.75 an hour. And so I sat him down in Starbucks and I said, Billy, write it down for me. Write down your monthly budget. Like a two-week, because you get paid every two weeks, right? Yeah. Okay, where does the money go? Okay. Because how much? Um, It was really hard right at the beginning because... What's the biggest biggest chunk? 3.30, car payment. Okay. Okay. They had just astounding payments for her car. They had a $330 car payment and a $400 a month car insurance, which they like were not sure why it was that high, but for some reason it was that high. Now it's much less. Then they had groceries. They had. Did Brooke tell you how much her phone bill cost? I don't know. Her phone bill, his phone, like, and at the end of the month, there was nothing left. I mean, there was less than nothing left. Like, it became really clear that. They had more expenses than they had money. And, you know, he talked about how much they relied on credit cards, but then how they would overdraft her credit card and then he'd have to pick up extra shifts. Because money is so tight, Brooke and Billy decide pretty early on that something has to change. And Billy actually is the one who says, you know, maybe I could join the Air Force. Yeah, I figured they would, you know, take care of me and my family. How do you feel about going to the Air Force? Like, is that, like, your dream? Like, if this was no. not happening, if, like... If this wasn't happening, I would not be joining the military. Why not? Like, at all. I don't want to be shot at. You know, here's Billy. He's just shipped off to basic training. And right before he did... Brooke and Billy went to the courthouse at 11 o'clock on Monday morning and they got married because Brooke wouldn't get the benefits if they didn't. As I'm hearing him tell me this, I'm just, I mean, honestly, I'm amazed by this guy. Like, he just turned 18. This is just an incredible amount of responsibility for a 17 just turned 18-year-old guy. What do you think about these abortion laws? Um, I'm so torn. Talk 
So now that Brooke has these babies, thinking through these laws and their implications is really tough. She feels really conflicted about them, really conflicted about denying women the option to get an abortion. You know, she says, you know, if the Texas law wasn't in effect, she might not have her babies. And that is a really scary thought to her because she adores them. She's quite taken with the idea that this cardiac activity that you can see on the screen at six weeks is a heartbeat. And then I also feel like after the heartbeat, I mean, that indicates a life. Yeah. You know, and... That that heartbeat is really powerful for you. Right, and that does feel like we're to me. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, she identifies as pro-choice, and she really sees the value in allowing women to make their own decisions about what's best for their lives. With their bodies. Right, and I still feel that way. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's your own body, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a, it's a human right. Um, and she does recognize what she lost and what she had to give up. There are a lot of different things that go through her mind. It's, it's really scary thinking that I wouldn't have them. It's a little, I think it's a little bit different. If I lost them now versus if I would have lost them before they were born and if I were to abort them. Because now I feel like I want nothing to hurt them and I want to do everything I can to protect them and I want to, I put them before me, you know, all these things. Before, I think it would have been a little bit different. When I take a step back and I look at the situation that Brooke and Billy are in, I just think about all of the other people that are going to be in this situation soon. You're going to be looking at a lot of people who are pushed into parenthood. Part of why I wanted to do this story was because this is such a polarized issue. This is what I write about. And it is so hard to find any nuance or gray area because it's either black or white. You are pro-choice or you are pro-life. And here is this story that I think forces us each side to at least consider the other perspective. Because on one hand, she has these beautiful babies that she loves more than anything else in the world. And on the other, she clearly gave up a lot to have them. Caroline Kitchener covers abortion for The Post. This story was produced by Ted Muldoon, Robin Amer, and Natalie Bettendorf. It was edited by Maggie Penman and Peter Walston and mixed by Ted. Thanks to Rennie Svernovsky and Sean Carter, who also worked on this story. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. 
I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.